0: Canine Detection Collaborative! A Detection Dog Training Trio! With Stacey Barnett!
1: Hi! Robin Grubo! Hey there! And Crystal Wing! What's up? With humor and a big dose of theory, our trio talks practical training advice and features interviews with top trainers and scientists. It's Canine Detection Collaborative!
0: Hi, this is Stacey Barnett, and welcome back to the Canine Detection Collaborative Podcast. I'm here with Robin Grubel and Crystal Wing. Hey, guys. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. So what was really interesting, we got done recording our last podcast on fluency, and it was such an exciting podcast to the three of us that after we hit the stop button, we kept talking. And we just kept talking and talking. We're like, wow, there's just so much here. I mean, we we were like super stoked, super excited, just very into the topic. We're like, you know what? (laughs) We need to do another part to this. So that's what we're here for today is really to talk about kind of that next piece of it. Just basically the stuff that we were talking about after we hit the stop
2: button. So, which I'm sure everybody's really surprised that, oh my gosh, we kept talking, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And if you know the three of us, it's, uh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to be, uh, talking about kind of the next piece of this and that what happens when you have a team that is either, either professional or sport or whatever, right? That hasn't necessarily reached fluency. However, they may be out there doing their thing, right? They may be out there, maybe they're deployed, or maybe they're trialing, or what have you. And what challenges that might set the team up for, or what could be, you know, obviously the downsides of that. And and this is just kind of the topic that we wanted to kind of bat around a little bit.
1: So that's what we're talking about today. I think. With mine, I I keep going back to the point of how does the trainer or handler know what fluency even is? That's a really great point. How do they know when they've reached that? And I think that's the foundation for me that I think I see a lot of handlers struggle with. Right. Is what should I be expecting of myself and my you know canine partner? Yeah. Because
0: honestly, it's like, especially if you're going through the journey the first time and we, we all go through the journey the first time at one point, right? You don't know what you don't know
2: until you know that you didn't know it. Right. And that then goes back to finding the right group of people to be training with that can help guide you to that point. Yeah. But if you're, you know, the United States and all other parts of the world have hinterlands, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You don't know. The nice thing is, is we now have the internet, which, and webinars and dog training online and all that's becoming much more common. But I start thinking about, you know, those, I think people fall into the trap of, I train all the time in these one or two locations. So my dog knows that when I get to these locations that we're training, right? Right. That comes back to a generalization issue. Yes. Even people who do Mm -hmm. trialing stuff, yep, you show up to a brand new location to trial and you pull the dog out of the car and you're like, oh my gosh, this dog has no idea what we're doing today. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's pretty common. You know, when people start trialing, once you, once you trial a few times, the dog goes, oh, okay. You know, I pull up in the van and.
2: This too. uh, Yeah. Oh, here too. Yeah. 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 People lose birch here too. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So. So, you know, the dog really has to understand, you know, you have to have your, your routines and everything. I think that's definitely, definitely a piece of it. Do you think it's a matter of not knowing, or well, this is kind of a rhetorical question, right? Maybe not knowing what fluency looks like to Crystal's point, but also maybe because you don't know what that looks like, it's easy to rush and jump in.
2: Um, one, one of my favorite sayings is we always get stuck in the habit of good enough.
0: Yeah. Oh. Good one
2: right so yeah. the the training was good enough, right that I can now go muddle through right, right We see that a lot in sports right well, yeah. we see it a lot in professional detection work. and I think that and in some of that you have to do some muddling through in order to help with the generalization process absolutely because it helps, but people want to go from You know, I'm, I'm learning how to drive my little three wheel trike to like the Indianapolis 500 all within about a week. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And they put so much pressure on themselves because they're like, oh, well, so-and-so got a puppy. And by eight months, that puppy is doing eight X, Y, or Z, or by 18 months, the dogs are getting certified. And are going out and doing everything else, and it's not taking into consideration the fluency of the, the dog, right? And the maturity and the mental maturity and the physical maturity. I mean, that's a whole different thing, you know, physical maturity of the dog yeah. to the understanding of the handler. And do they know their scent theory? Do they understand how all the dog training stuff? And then putting them together as a team and have they gelled as a team. And you know, I've done 90, all of the dogs that I've trained have either been puppies or I got them at a year old. And I think there's only like two that I got at a year old to train. But you're looking at a lot of professional handlers who go purchase green dogs, who are a year to two years old, who have a whole bunch of toy work done. But have nothing else. And so that whole getting the dog to actually even function outside of a kennel environment or its training environment uh, is actually turning into a really big issue because the dog looks great at the training facility. You take it out and put it in the real world and it kind of freaks out. That's not a fluent dog. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I I think part of the issue, like on the sports side is very similar, because what you have is a lot of people take group classes, which are great, right? Right. Group classes are awesome. You get a lot of people together. And they serve a purpose. Absolutely. They they totally do. Yeah. And, And you get this group of people and they're basically they're all doing the same searches because that's how group classes have to work. And then what you're going to find is there are going to be some teams that are going to naturally have an easier time of it for a lot of different reasons. Maybe it could be the handler. Maybe it could be the dog. Maybe it could just be those teams go out and they practice, right? So you're gonna end up with some people in the class moving up and being ready to trial and maybe they're out there and they're doing really well. And then you get the other people in the in the rest of the class, if they're feeling a lot of pressure, right? They feel that a, a lot of times they feel like, well, you know, uh, Sally, I'm making up that name. I'm not calling anybody out, by the way. Right. Making up a name and some, you know, you can
2: have imaginary handler names. Exactly.
0: <laughs> so right? maybe, you know, Sally and her dog uh, Fido. Throwing something out there, right? Well, they're ready to go out NW two, and I want to do NW two, and you know, and and Sally and and uh, Janet. I'm just again making up more names, right? Um, you know, they're they're already in there in my class. Why, you know, why can't I do it? And so then you end up really pushing certain students that I think end up actually getting out there and trying maybe prematurely
1: for the team. And I th- I think that happens a lot. Actually, I think that happens a lot. Um, And listening to both of you, I kind of want to take off some of the things you've said and go a little more. Robin, you suggested that you know the classes in the internet, and I think that's where we have that example when you don't know if you're fluent or not, and then we can feel that pressure from others when we go to the internet and we see all these beautiful videos of all of this perfect training, and then we're not seeing the whole picture. And that's what I really appreciate about uh, Robin's group with her puppies that she's sharing all of this raw, unedited. So we actually get to see all the boogers and warts and all those things as well. And beyond that, I think, too, going into the trial situation. So I think about with my protection sports, I've, I always wanted to do a nose work trial, but I never felt like I would know what to do or what to expect. And I think going to the trials and talking to the competitors that's always going to be very helpful as well because then you really start to understand what the expectations are and you really start to see what the dogs need to be at each level and i think that also plays to with search and rescue i needed to see what it looked like for a test i couldn't wrap my brain around it like okay i can read the requirements i can ask people but actually getting to see it for me is what made the big difference to understand what level do i actually need to be to
2: One of the the things that I wish I would have had the opportunity to do before I tested and certified my narcotics and explosives dogs was to be able to go watch a test. Yeah. Right. Which is like, it's watching a trial. Right. How do the evaluators and the person interact? How do you call a hide? How do you, you know, the way that some of the certifications that I take work, a lot of the time I go in, I work my entire area. I come out and I debrief my evaluators on this is where I'm calling hides. Oh, wow. And then they'll tell me whether or not I'm correct, right? So I don't necessarily reward my dog while I'm out doing that because, oh, oh my gosh. So it's that going and watching and finding I think one of the things we talked about one of the other times was go watch people. Yeah. We've been even offline having lots of discussions about fluency and it's kind of one of those things is, well, you kind of know it when you see it, but it's really hard to define kind of like a good leader, right?
0: Yeah. But you
2: sure know what it looks like when it's not that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And if you're in the sports area, you might be like, oh, you know, we really don't have that many spectating opportunities. Although you, you can spectate in AKC for, for the most part. However, you can volunteer. And if right. you volunteer, you tend to uh, get to see at least some of the searches. Now, of course, if you're doing NACSW, it's only, you know, one level per day, but there's still, a, you know, there's a lot that happens and there's a lot of dogs that work the same hides. And seeing the same dogs work in the same hides is actually pretty amazing.
1: And I love um, that suggestion because that's exactly how I was able to watch one of the search and rescue evaluations and that was so eye opening that is exactly what i needed was that volunteer opportunity so i love that you said that yeah. and i didn't know that was a possibility in nose work so thank you i'll be doing that now <laughs>
0: <laughs> you No, know, it, ab- it absolutely is they're, they're always looking they're always looking for volunteers you know if you know somebody sometimes you can be brought along as a spectator it's like byos bring your own spectator and there, basically, is you know there there are certain searches that you can watch and some that you can't. And it's just usually based off of the the search area. So if it's kind of a tight area, you know you can't fit extra people in there, and, and it's more that. And of course, you know there's kind of you know COVID things right now. So right, you know in, in some places, you know you may not be able to spectate anything indoors, but you know there's a lot of outdoor stuff too. So there are definitely opportunities to you know to watch and everything. So you know I was thinking the other thing. Was that, and, and, I, and I wonder how much of this is a part of this, is, you know, in terms of people being able to recognize fluency, right? You know, to be able to recognize fluency, I think you kind of have to have an idea of what your training philosophies are. Like, what are, what's a training framework that you have? So something that you can kind of hang off, you know, how you train off of this framework. I kind of do that like I have, the, I have in my head, like these are the pieces that I want to try to try to install, right? And then it's just a matter of increasing your capability and all those pieces. And, but I wonder that if you don't have that, it's actually very difficult. I'm not saying you have to write it down, right? But it's, it's actually, I think, very difficult to try to figure out what all those moving pieces are. To be able to get to the point where you're like, yeah, this is fluency. So that's one piece of it. The second piece of it is, it is amazing how much easier it is on later dogs, right? It's a lot harder oh, yeah. on that first dog.
2: Yeah. The, uh, oh. the, the first, uh, what I find even for myself is my first dog trained me. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? Yeah. And and then you got easy. And then there's no other dog that works like that.
1: I <laughs> <So laughs> actually have to learn how to train.
2: <laughs> so, Yeah. yeah.
1: How lucky yeah. are some of us to get that magical unicorn dog as our first dog?
2: Right. That, yeah. I mean that they do what you want them to do in spite of you.
1: Yes. Right. Very tolerant dog. Like Quinn would do the same thing over and over and over again, just so that I could get better at my skills and yeah. no other dog has ever been that kind to me. Right. <laughs> yeah. That,
2: my first dog was a Border Collie who looked at me. I am swear he rolled his eyes a lot. He's just like, really lady?
1: Okay. <laughs> Those are my current dogs. Oh no, that's yeah. my current dog. That's Brava. Brava rolls her eyes at me all the time. I thank but... Quinn all the time for training me. Yeah. So.
2: Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Stacey, you were saying that you you think it is a combination of not having a framework, framework training philosophy to be able to kind of track here's what fluency is, and then be able to track all of the things that lead to fluency. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that's a piece of
0: it, right? And and again, this is just is we're really just trying to brainstorm like why why do we see this phenomenon, right? People who might be doing things a little bit too quickly. I don't think it's because they wake up in the morning and go, uh, gosh, darn it. I don't really care if I'm fluent or not. I want to get that, you know, scent work novice
2: title or that, you know, you know what I'm saying? I think it's human. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's the human, it's a peer pressure thing. Okay. Yeah. I think it's a, um, but I want to do that too thing. Okay. Okay. So, and, you know, okay. Yeah. Uh, look at this three of us on a podcast talking about internal competition, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, right, right. And, you yeah. know, it's so bigger, better, faster. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I know in search and rescue, a lot of, and, and, you know, a lot of the people who do search and rescue are type A or helpers. Right. And we, we want to go out and we want to do stuff. Yes. And so I think, there, there's some of that that goes along with it. So it's not just a education piece. It's the, yeah. I have to keep up with the Joneses with my dog.
0: Or or even, and, yes, and, right? It's that competition with yourself. Yeah. You know, where you're, and I think you're right. I think, and, and we don't know anything about being type A, do we? Oh, never. Uh-huh. No, not at all.
2: We won't even have a conversation of, oh my gosh, my puppies are behind because they're not doing two minute sits and stares at the age of 20 weeks.
0: Right. And and who really cares other than you, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. Right.
0: So and then, you know, when you have multiple dogs, you're always like, well, this one did this and this one didn't do that. And, you know, and you, and you get, you get into that and it's like, oh, well, this one had, you know, this at this point. And, and especially if they're related, then, then it's, then it's really, really rough, but I, yeah, I think, I think you're right. So I think it is like a combination is, it's, there's, there's the educational side of it, but then there's just also the, the self, the drive, right? Right. Which I
2: think is really what it's, it's drive. It's the human. Human Empowered. drive. Right. Human drive. Yeah. Right. It's, oh, yeah. Or whatever drives you to do this with your dog. Is it the, whether it's yeah. pretty ribbons or whatever. Right. How fast can I get out there and do
1: whatever thing I want to do? So I'm an art teacher and I'm visual. And I'm going to try to convey a vision over words. (laughs) Usually I draw things, right? So bear with me here. Can you imagine three triangles side by side? Each triangle has the same length sides, but each triangle gets larger. Can you imagine that? So we're at a small triangle. It has all three same sides. Okay. Same sizes, you know, same lengths of each side. And then there's a bigger triangle next to it. And then a bigger triangle next to that. Okay. okay, so are we in the same same imagining the same thing? I think so. so Probably not, but sure. Prob- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll try it. Right? I said car. What did you guys think of? <laughs> an MG what color was yours? I yeah. know it's Why hard. I like drawing pictures, but I saw this on the internet, and I was thinking about the pressures we see on the internet, and this made a lot of sense to me. And it talked about okay, I'm at the small triangle because I'm starting this thing. You know, just theoretically, right? And so, what most people do is they try to look up to whatever the next triangle is, the next taller one, right? And then you're looking up at even the tallest one. But here's the thing, what's making you look up? And that's kind of what you guys are talking about, whether it's internal motivation, whether it's looking up at someone else, maybe it's, you know, whatever that thing is that you're looking up at. And most importantly is we need to look down at the base of our triangle. And I think that's where we start to fall apart because as those other triangles are taller Aren't they also wider because their foundation is bigger? And so instead of trying to look up to be this thing that you're trying to become, we need to look down to build our foundation bigger and stronger because that's where the fluency is going to come from. Can you I have that? freaking
2: chills going
0: up my arms. I, I know. I'm right both like,
1: oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Brilliant. I I literally, I'm literally here with
0: chills going up my arm, but it's not mine,
1: right? I'm just telling you, I saw this on Facebook somewhere, and if somebody out there can give me whoever it was that said this, we can give them credit. That's amazing, though, because I think that's where ripples come from. Because you learn the things, you share the things, and I wish I could give the credit for it. But it really hit me so hard, and I'm like, that's it, right there. Wow, wow! And I think that's where for our dogs we try to build this narrow foundation and try to stack it really tall, really fast. And then it crumbles. And we can't yeah. do that to our dogs either.
2: Wow. I, I totally agree. It was, it was interesting. So I ended up sitting in the Walmart parking lot for half an hour the other day because I have puppies in the car who feed off of each other. And so yeah. we had to have a whole entire training session on sitting quietly in the car while people walked by the car and came to pick up carts. And I, I, you know, I almost was at the point where as the Walmart person came up and picked up all of the carts and took them inside, I almost went and drove to the next cart corral <laughs> so that wow. the puppies, I, I was, I was really close, but they quieted down and, you know, I'm in there, I'm checking treats and crates. Right. Yeah. And by the time we got done, they were sitting quietly, but you forget, you know one of the things that I really enjoy about my dogs is the fact that they don't bark a lot in their crates. I have to train that, right. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I can't expect them to just figure it out. And I think we have a lot of times where we we do spend so much time in one very narrow portion of our dog's foundation or even our own learning that we forget to go out and learn other things. And and that's one of the reasons I am and enjoying conversations with you guys because you're not within my lane. <laughs> and the one of the reasons I actually, I, I tend to be one of those people when I meet somebody new, I'm like, oh my gosh, tell me how you got there. Tell me what you, tell me all the things, all the right. things, um, you know, right. knowledge vampire, I want to suck it out of your brain. And then they're like, yeah. She's crazy. So,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, we're, we're, all, we're all speaking kind of, of crazy, crazy, all I could think of at first, I had that visual. I had a really bad experience with the shopping cart thing. I hid my source being a small piece of human remains in a jar in the shopping cart corral. <laughs> no, no, I know oh. I was a beginner right and so then they come to collect the carts and I'm like yelling and screaming and chasing them so I'm like crazy lady I'm like no 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 I'm just grabbing this little jar I left okay no big deal
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is that is way worse than uh putting putting a, a hide on a vehicle and have it drive away which you know can definitely happen oh, I, have, I have
2: done that um I actually you have to be really careful when there are the little two ounces of black powder <laughs> yeah you, yeah you, you, you get really careful
0: it's a lot easier if it's birch yeah it's a lot easier because you're like ah it'll fall off you know it's birch I mean yeah they're they're uh, yeah it's not great but there's worse.
2: the reason I use a lot of odor soaks now because uh, yeah. okay it drove away it's fine <laughs> yeah well <laughs> I open the door it'll fall out it'll be good and they won't even notice it looks like a snowflake <laughs> I can't tell you how many people
0: have lost hides in their vehicle like you know, and, and I'm raising my hand like it's happened to me where I, I wanted to put it like a really cool hide. Like I tried it behind the, the headlamp.
1: Oh, it's not. Oh, it, it,
0: it was a training hide. It wasn't a trial hide. Right. And um, the funny thing is about vehicles now is that they're not metal anymore. No, they're plastic. Right. Well, That's I had plastic. a tin with a magnet and I didn't have it adhered right. And Next thing I know, I had a, a hide in my undercarriage for a while. So that, that by oh. the way, that, that van is gone. Here's a pro tip for you.
1: So last year, I hid a, a tiny piece of a Kong because that's my foundation in an ATM machine, like in one of the seams. Yeah. And it fell inside of the machine. So, of course, I'm trying to dig it out. So here I am with teasers, <laughs> picking at this ATM machine. And then I look around, I'm like, I'm a little sus right now. I'm just going to walk away and leave this piece of Kong in the ATM. So, just pro tip, if wow. you drop something in an ATM machine, walk away. Don't, don't start then digging at it. it. Did the little
0: lights come after you? No, it's, I, I had
1: enough self-awareness of what I was doing that I was like, oh, wait. Oh, that's too
2: funny. <laughs> Sorry that's to take us off funny. track
0: there. Okay. So, yeah. No, 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 but, but really kind of funny,
1: really. <laughs> kind of well,
2: but you know, just think about how we were all just sharing, oh my gosh, where we lost to hide. Right. Right. Yeah. Or how, how you had. So that's the whole trying to be, you know, we're trying to teach our dogs that stuff can be anywhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it really, really will. It really can be. Right. Yeah. <laughs> whether, whether or not we're efficient at hiding it is like totally different, but um, <laughs> that's part of the fluency is thinking, okay, how do you teach your dog? to hunt all of these things. And that's part of fluency, yeah. you know, yes, and absolutely. Yeah. So and
1: imagination, because that's our most important tool. <laughs> it is. That and your <laughs> absolutely. I was thinking back to what you said about the pressure piece. And I think we, so we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves, but I think we also put too much pressure on our dogs then. Um, and that's yeah. kind of what I would think we could talk about a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. How we see it in each of our areas. I see
2: some of the certifications that I look at, it's required that the dog is over a year old. I think that that's, we ask for a lot of mental maturity out of our dogs for them to go out and do the job that they're going to do. But there's time and money pressure, right? That comes in from agencies or our peers, or whoever, to get your dog up, trained, and out the door. You know, I think about some of the the you know the disaster dog stuff and what we ask the disaster dogs to do. And I try really, really hard to not put my dogs until their front growth plates have fused on a rubble pile because that is a whole lot of beating on the dog's body. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. my old guy that um, I had to send ahead a couple of months ago, he turns nine, 10 years old, and we're already having to start treating his um, carpi and elbows and shoulders for arthritis because of all the beating that he took, even as a young dog. And so it's, it's not for the working dogs, it's not only the mental maturity, but it's the physical maturity that goes along with it. That if we're not careful, my youngest, well, not my youngest anymore, Flair, I had taught her um, up until actually she just about now, she's just getting ready to turn two. I have stopped catching her as she jumps out of the car. So I have this whole thing. She'll wait and she'll sit in the car. I'll open the doors and I'll hold my arms out in a certain way. Um, You guys can't see it, but I have my arms like in this big hoop. And she jumps into my arms Aww. and I catch her and then set her down. And so that's cute. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> you know, she can jump in. And actually, the, yeah. the young girls, they're just turned four, um, you know, four months old. They're jumping in the car. They absolutely get to jump in the car. I will not allow really? them to jump out. And I have a minivan, people. It's not like (laughs) they're in a minivan that seats two people and four dogs. And so I don't let them jump out of the car till they're, you know, 16, 18 months old, because that's when their front growth plates fuse. Yeah. And I don't need that additional pressure put on their their elbows and their shoulders.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and and with nose work, we don't have the physical part of it, right? I mean, there's definitely a mental part.
1: Unless it's your dogs climbing on top of everything. Yeah. (laughs) Unless they're my dogs. But
0: they do it on their own <laughs> they Do it They on their own. Um, yeah, but, but, but if you think about it, I mean, my dogs are actually bred for, uh, for USAR, right. So th- that, that desire to just go in climbing. And I, I think a lot of that's genetic and then there's powder, <laughs> but, but, um, but from nose work, we, we don't, we don't have the physical part of it, but there's definitely a mental part of it. And I think with a, what I've noticed is that um, you know, dogs definitely mature at, at different rates, right? It's, you can definitely take a puppy and you can definitely, you know, have that puppy, you know, trialing. I mean, Bravo was trialing at six months old, but she actually was ready. That, that was probably one of the most quickly maturing mentally dogs I've, I've like ever met. You know, but when I compare that to some of my other puppies, right, it, it's, they're just different. There's just different. And I, I think you really have to kind of, you know, from a nose work perspective, really think about you know, your dog. You can't do, actually with NACSW, they have to be a year old, but with AKC, they're allowed to be six months. So she was trialing an AKC at six months, but um, didn't start an NACSW to a year. But So I think the demands are a little bit different. Well, and
2: you really have to be careful with those young puppies. You're, you're taking them, whether it's in a trialing or competition format, yeah. right? And you've got fear periods that show up. Yeah. And yeah. so you could yeah. be in the middle of, you know, um, whatever you're doing and all of a sudden a fear period shows up and you can yeah. do some detrimental stuff to the remainder of your training if you're not really careful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You need to know your puppy. You need to know like where your puppy is developmentally. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely.
1: So this pressure piece for my world, I have to kind of sometimes question. So like you said, dogs are bred for genetically for doing crazy things. And the number one thing that Quinn taught me is that just because they can doesn't mean they should. Oh, That is such an important lesson for so many people to learn, learn from my mistakes We would go to the park. He could jump on top of a six foot outhouse. And so I would let him, but when goes up, has to come down. Right. And just because he's this amazing creature. And I see all these things on Facebook of all these Malinois doing these incredible feats. And then I always think they have to come down. Right. So that's the physical pressure. Now, the mental pressure, I think that I see a lot in my sport Um, and potentially maybe like in law enforcement and other areas is they're working dogs. They need to be treated like that. So they live in a kennel, they come out of their kennel, they do their intense thing, they go right back into their kennel. Not saying it's right, not saying it's wrong, but for a lot of dogs expecting that 100% on every second they're out of the kennel, I don't know um, because I started Quinn that way. That's the way that I was taught. And I don't know that that was the healthiest thing for him because he was so mentally and emotionally jacked all the time. Right. Over arousal. And it took me several years. Oh yeah, just constant over arousal. And it took me several years to teach him how to have an off switch because I didn't, I didn't allow it. You know, I, I wanted him to be high all the time because that's how you have to be. And I think differently now about my dogs. They are all crashed here next to me because they've learned an off switch now. And as soon as we get up from this we're going to go have a, a crazy on switch <laughs> no, <laughs> right yeah, so okay. the pressure i think that we put on them mentally sometimes i think is even more damaging long term than the physical pressure and yeah. i just see that in in the way that they handle stress and i i guess i imagine i anthropomorphize i get it but i look at people that are in high stress jobs and how much it ages people right and i see the same thing in the the dogs especially in my areas
0: yeah
2: yeah
1: You know, one of the things that I've seen a lot from
2: going out and like doing detection work at the amusement parks, right? Um, Oh my gosh, the noises, the people, the odors they have to sift through, all of that sort of stuff, absolutely mentally exhausting for them. And, you know, getting flair, I certified her really, really young, but in no way, shape or form did I consider her operational. She was still a puppy. And there's a whole bunch of you know, I one of the my things is I want a versatile dog, and that means a dog that can recover quickly in almost any situation that you put it in, which actually goes back to fluency, right? You know right. that the the dog can make those mental leaps and be like, oh yeah, I got this. We're good. It's it's fine. I, a roller coaster going over my head, and I'm I'm looking for drugs no problem, mom, I got it. That's something that comes with practice repetition and a competent dog. Yes. And so, you know, taking the time, one of the things I learned a long time ago, Robert Maziska is a, uh, he's not retired. So he's a border patrol search and rescue trainer.
1: Is that Nas on Facebook?
2: That's Nas. He owns the National Canine Facility. Fantastic. And he talked about when they do lots of selections for dogs, they're actually looking for dogs with a lot of courage because the dirt dogs either come with courage or they don't, but you can always build their confidence. And so they were always selecting dogs that came naturally with courage. And so, you know, that's one of the things when you're starting to look at buying, you know, purchasing a working dog. Um, as a, a puppy, so you're purchasing this little ball of genetics, right? That's what you look for. Now, if you're in, um, you know, a world where you all of a sudden decide I want to go to search and rescue, or I want to go do nose work, or I want to do something, and the dog I have in the situation I am in, I only have this dog that I have to work with, or I want to work with, which is fine. Um, you know, that's one of those things when you have to start looking at okay. You know, you have your little pyramid looking up at your big pyramid and can you build the confidence in the dog to go do all of that stuff so it fluent at the place where you need it to be when you're at the big pyramid? You know, sometimes
1: you don't know that when you start the journey because the dog will tell you. Right. I mean, look at Yukon. I got him for protection sports and he said, nah, literally his first bite, he was on this thing. He seemed like he was really into it and a butterfly went by. And he left playing with the bite toy that it seemed so interested in to go chase a butterfly. <laughs> so you don't know what dog you're going to get and what path they're going to take you on. Right. No. You know? And yeah. I mean, he took us through Frisbee and weight pull and then, you know, agility and all the things until now we've landed at search and rescue. Yeah. <laughs> and that's because I didn't put pressure on him. And right. I, I do worry about some of the people that I have in my sport that, They're so ate up with their sport that they're not looking at the dog in front of them and they're putting too much pressure on their dog to be the dog they want them to be instead of allowing them to be the butterfly chasing Yukon. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's adorable. That's adorable. (laughs) At the time, it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah,
0: true. (laughs) I'm just picturing it right now big, big, bad, Dutchy,
1: butterfly.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's really hard when you get a dog to do a specific thing right? And the dog says, "Mm, no, I I don't want to be that dog. (laughs) Go Mm -hmm. find a different dog. I want to go be this dog. And it's kind of like having kids. Not every kid wants to be a lawyer. Thank God.
1: You know what though? The amount of mental pressure I put on myself was (sighs) not healthy because I kept seeing myself as a failure over and over and over again. Here I am a training director and I'm helping all these people and I can't even get my dog to succeed at this thing that he was bred for. Like right, oh, that pressure that I put on myself—it really crushed me as a trainer for quite a while. And I think we go on roller coasters, you know, where yeah, we're we're on these little like woohoo, things are going well, and I just kept feeling like we were going up this slow climb, and we were just going to like plummet to our death. <laughs> it was that dramatic. Like I almost was like, I don't want to train dogs anymore. It was that crushing. I'm done. Yeah, and that's oh. where you have to have people around you that can see your struggles. Wow. and be able to help you get through that to get to the point where now, like, I think this boy could actually certify and help people. Right. Wow. I never would have thought that just a year ago.
0: Yeah. I, I think in nose work, it's a little different. So, uh, where, where most people don't go, go out and get a puppy specifically for nose work. Um, although I, you know, when I did get my puppies, that's, this is my sport. This is you know what I want to do, but I also wanted a certain type I of dog.
2: I think it's common. It, it, well, <laughs> it, it probably
0: is, but Currently, I think it's not as common, but I think when people are pressuring their dogs and they're seeing right. the um, the negative side of it, I think it's less so much. This This is just my hypothesis, right? And this is just my lens from what I've seen. That is less the dogs that are necessarily bred for searching and hunting and like, like the more like the working type dogs that are, right. that are coming into the sport. I don't think it's those that are really getting pressured. I think it's the dogs that don't have that genetic background, but people still have the same drive right. to do the sport. And, and I think, you know, if, if kind of going back to Crystal, what you were saying, how it made you feel when, you know, when Yukon was like, oh, butterfly, right? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people in the sport, if they get a dog and, you know, maybe it's not, you know, genetically predisposed for searching and they, and and I think they start to compare the dog, you know, I, I think it's detrimental to the dog. They either end up sometimes pushing that dog, like maybe trying to push that dog up the levels too fast, instead of letting the dog just kind of work their way up, right? Because they can get the capability. They just need a little bit more time. So they're kind of pressuring it. So I think it's more the pressure on the dogs that are actually not bred for it that I see a little bit more than the pressure on the dogs that are bred for it and those what.
2: Oh, I totally agree with that. It was the story of Echo. Um, I adopted a border collie from the local rescue. Um, I had a border collie, right? He's, Certified in multiple things, doing all sorts of fantastic stuff. So I went out and adopted another border collie and expected him to just do hunty dog things, right? Yep. We're going yep. to we're gonna go find dead guys. And um, we're, I show up to training one day and at the point where I opened up the crate and Echo looked at me and shrank to the back of the crate Whoa. and wouldn't come out right? I'm, I'm looking at him and I finally got his little flying squirrel out and I threw the flying squirrel and he's like, oh, okay, I'll chase that. And I, was, I looked at him and said, you don't like this job. Yeah, yeah. And I, I showed up, um, I had a friend of mine who was doing herding dog trials. And so I took him up to go do herding dog trials. And to make a long story short, I rehomed him with the herding dog instructor. So he was then out in like six months competing nationally and winning at herding dog trials because that's the job he wanted. Yeah. And yeah. that was the job he was actually bred to do. You know, people are asking me all the time, well, you always said when you got old, you're going to, you know, have English shepherds and those were going to be your old lady dogs. I'm like, yeah, I'm not old yet. No, you're not old yet. Right. But if I want detection dogs, that's one less thing I have to teach is how to hunt. As yes. if I predispose myself and, and get a dog that already kind of comes with predisposed to hunt and use their nose. So hence yeah. labs. Right? right.
0: Well, well, it's, it's not only the hunting. It's also, depending upon the genetics, they come with confidence and motivation. Correct. Like, you're, like you don't have to worry about that part of it. Right. The dog's like, yep, confidence check, motivation check, right? Okay. Now it's like, oh, no, let's play around with your hunt drive.
2: Yeah. But you can also put too much pressure on your puppy. True. Because you want it to play tug or you want it to do this, how it doesn't, want you know, back to how does the dog like to play? Because we all know the dog chooses the reinforcer. So you can put too much pressure on your puppy. um, Hello, dash. And- End up creating a disconnect in your engagement, which will affect your whole entire relationship. And then Absolutely. it takes somebody like Crystal Wing to come in and say, Hey, no, why don't you play with your dog this way? And my dog's like, <laughs> Oh my God, yeah.
1: she rocks. No. So, yeah. yeah. So, tell us a little bit about Dash, though. I kind of want to know more about that. Uh, oh, like, because I know the
2: story, but you know. Right. So, Dash, he was supposed to do FEMA level disaster dog work. And I insisted that he play tug. He comes from field trial and hunt test lab lines. He has a soft mouth. Oh, right. He is the guy who will run down a chicken and bring me a live chicken in his mouth (laughs) and hand it over. Wow. Chickens live through this whole concept, they don't- That's anymore. amazing. He's like super excited. So he kind of, and I started using fur balls. So he scrunches them now. Um, this is how I lose her the chickens. The chickens, yeah. <laughs> oh no, oh no. So yeah, so I, <laughs> as a young puppy with Dash, every time he'd bring me back a toy, if he wouldn't hang on to it appropriately, I'd snatch it out of his mouth and then make him do something else. So actually what he learned- Is that bringing me anything was punishing. Oh, okay. So I very effectively taught him to not bring me squat. Wow. (laughs) So it was until Crystal showed me some games to work on with him. And we modified our whole play sessions at the end of our detection work. It's actually totally changed the whole format of how we work together. Wow, it's been really interesting. You know, you have a dog that you bought for this particular job, and the dog looks at you and says, "Nope, I don't want to do it because you suck." And I'm like, "Ow!"
1: And that definitely <laughs> plays to fluency, right? I mean, they have to have yeah. the right reinforcer, and I think so many people have rewards and not reinforcers, and there's there's a difference there. Yes, I do want to point out there was something you said, Stacey, about levels, and it kind of got my brain going. And then Robin, you talked about rehoming a dog. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much I want to talk about. (laughs) Because the pressure that we put on ourselves about rehoming, I mean, there's so much there, especially if you are on social media and people, it doesn't matter what you say or do, there's always going to be somebody saying something. So you have to do what's right by you and your dog. And by you, I mean, I've seen so many people that are so ate up with what they want to do that they're just going to make the dog fit instead of giving right. the dog the right fit somewhere else to make the dog happier with less pressure, that then you can have the dog that you need for the activity that you want to do.
2: I, I totally agree. And I see people go serially go through dogs. Right. Right. And that frustrates me. Right. So there's both sides of it, right? There, there's both sides <laughs> of it. Cause I'm like, are you selecting the dog that fits your training method or are you evolving your training method to fit the dog? Yeah. And, and if you're, they're
1: finding good homes for the dogs. Right. If they're finding yeah, like if you
0: have a trainer that just doesn't have the flexibility to train more than just the carbon copy of maybe the one dog that they've ever had, the one right. dog that did really well, right? And so now they're looking for that. And if the dog doesn't fit that, they just kind of brush it right. aside. Right. But if you are literally dealing with a dog that truly is not the right fit for either you as a personality or the dog just really doesn't want to do your activity yeah I th- I, but i think there's a huge pressure like it's i think the, the more you know people see you in social media and especially if you've got you know any kind of a, a public face or whatever hey. the, there's always going to be people that are going to you know go after you. I mean, I've, I've got friends that that's happened to, and, you know, cause maybe they've rehomed a dog or something and it, it's, it's just really, that's, that's rough. My
1: dad flat out told me that I had national level competition goals for the sports that I do. And he just flat out said, you're not, you're not going to do it. You don't have what it takes. And I'm like, Whoa, that really hurts. Like what do you I mean? Know. Right. Right. But he's right. Because I'm not and I won't say willing, but I, I'm almost not capable of rehoming my dogs.
0: Yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah. And
1: I say that now. He has my first puppy, which is Nakota, which was a duchy who wasn't able to do the sport that I wanted to do. But because he lives with my dad, and I get to see You're him, okay. you know, every bit, you know, yeah. But I mean, like looking around me now, I have my current dog had a total hip replacement, you know, and we're still trying and plugging away, but you know, he's, he's having success, but we can't get over the meter hurdle, you know, because of his limitations. Yeah. I'm not going to put so much pressure that I'm going to physically, you know, crush him to make him yeah. do this thing. But will I make it to nationals? No, I won't, <laughs> you know? So
2: he's right. Now, when, when I rehome dogs, it's either a physical reason, one of the dogs that I was training had elbow dysplasia. Um, I adopted her from the pound. Found her a very nice home, kept in touch with the people. She passed away at the age of 15, right? I, I have the mental criteria that the dog has to go to a better home than mine, which is, or, you know, some of the working dogs that I'm now, I may not actually keep, right? I might actually sell them. That's a whole different mental shift. That well, that is a different world.
0: It's just yeah. like it's a totally. I think what you're talking about is a completely different world than a lot of the sports competitors, right? Right. I mean, when when we're talking sports competitors, honestly, I mean, number one, the dog should also be your pet, right? Right. Mm-hmm. We're not going to take a, a a van full of nose work dogs and cram them in a in a crate and keep them keep them there and they're, just pull them out to you know like kennel them and then just go off and compete with them. I think that would take away from the the soul of the sport. So there i mean there there's a real part of the one you live with is should really be your partner from from the sport side of it and and i and i think that's a different is really a different world it's a different different perspective
2: a lot of the search and rescue people are are yeah. kind mm-hmm. of in the, the dogs you know i've seen an evolution in the search professional search and rescue volunteer that they went from the dog that they, you know, fluffy that they have that all of a sudden they saw something on TV and now they want to go find Timmy in a well to now know if I want to do search and rescue, I'm going to go purchase the genetics that I need in order to do the job. Yeah. But a lot of many, many search and rest, most of the search and rescue handlers that I know, there have two or three dogs and that's it. So that they're more like pets Cause pets get the bad rap. It's not that yeah, they're, that's
0: the wrong word, right? Right. It's just, it, it's more like you're, you know, it's cause my dogs, I love them. They, they sleep in my bed with me, they're family,
2: but they're, they're more than. Better. Well, and some of the working dog people, it's the same thing. I, yeah. People that I know, yeah. it's the same thing. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's, you can be a pro and still have, you know, dogs that sleep on your bed. Yeah. So um, <laughs> yeah. As long as you can yeah. maintain the fluency in your training, right? That's right. That's right. We we've gone so off topic, but Yeah. I know. well, <laughs> it, it actually feeds in because one of the things that you think about is how much activity is your dog getting at least in my world outside of its job. Yeah. Because that affects how much it wants to work. Yeah, very true. Right? Which comes back to fluency. Yeah. So you know, I, I have two puppies who I'm building work ethic in. What's that mean? They spend a lot of time in a crate at the moment because otherwise my house would be in shreds. But that's all puppies, Uh, all high drive puppies,
0: right? That's all high drive puppies. Yeah. yeah. And especially if you have a larger dogs, you don't want to sit with a high drive puppy with a high drive dog, unless they're highly, highly, highly supervised. Correct. Highly supervised.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the the whole concept of fluency starts, you know, leading us all down all of these little tiny rabbit trails, right? Well, okay, then is it too much pressure to get to fluency how's the dog, how's the human?
0: Yeah.
2: You
1: know, all of those sorts of things. That and I think too, that's where you need progression plans. You need ways of knowing how to get your dog from point A to point B. Yes. And so yes. like with which is basic Dog information. I mean, uh, you talked about uh, levels earlier, Stacey, and it made me think about like Sue Ailsby's levels. Like, I think that's just so genius for people to follow. It gives them this kind of step by step of what they can be doing. I mean, that's for all dogs, it's, yeah. it's for sport, it's for yeah. pro, it's for everybody, you know, and to have people out there sharing things like that, I think is so helpful. And like, there's the FINSY team titles, and, you know, and then uh, Robin with the Scandinavian progression plans. Like, there's there's plans already out there if you don't know how to do it because I know that's that little triangle of reaching up to the bigger triangle, you know, and right, so where yes. do you go? And so I thought if I could offer a couple of places yes. for people to, to seek out, to help them get to that point. But I think I want to point out too, something that Lisa Higgins said from the search and rescue world is she said, we need to have dog time. And that was such a big yes. thing for me this last summer, because Yukon needed a little longer than the other dogs. He searches a little slower, a little more methodical. And I was feeling so much pressure on myself that Uh he needed to find it fast like everybody else did, you know? And, and she was just like this, such a nice calming, like, just stop. We're on dog time. This isn't about you knock it off. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Loud and clear. You're right. This is about him. And this is what he needs right now. And that lesson was so loud and clear for me. Yeah. It's interesting because then you start
2: running back into, okay, he's working on dog time, right? And what's part of being fluent is knowing when to stop the, just let the dog figure it out. Right. From the fluent trainer who was like, oh, my setup is totally wrong. Right. And I need to put the dog in the car so I can re-evaluate how I set up and run my problem. So... I start thinking about, you know, okay, so when we start talking about takeaways about fluency, right? You know, as fast and as reflexive as the dog can do it is kind of a definition of fluency. But I look at how fast and effective can a team clear the area. That's a fluency for the detection dog team, at least in my world.
0: Yeah. And I think from a nose work perspective, because I think there are various levels of fluency and I think ultimately I, what you want to do, you know, don't, don't get yourself all, all scared about, Oh, you know, I, I can't do that yet because, you know, Oh my goodness, I may not be whatever. Right. Right. So, and yeah, cause I think we can also get into kind of a concrete shoes here where we don't want to move forward. I think instead, I think it's, reflect, do a lot of reflection and think about how did it feel when you were searching with your dog? If it felt easy, if it felt like you were just a a different time on a time schedule, you didn't feel rushed. You didn't, you know, if you were able to literally watch what was going on and you were able to internalize it and your dog was happy and your dog was engaged and your dog was successful, and you come out of it, and that's your feeling, that's pretty darn close to fluency for whatever you're doing. And, and just, yeah. so try to think about the, the feeling you have and, and do the reflection and learn from it, knowing that we're, you know, we're always in pursuit of excellence. Set your goals and try not to pressure yourself. Because I think if we don't pressure, I think when we pressure ourselves, that's what pressures our dogs. So if we could take the pressure off of ourselves, I think we're going to be in a much better place.
1: And I think the takeaways that I go from this, I always go back to pay attention. And so here, I want you to pay attention to what you're asking of your dog, but also what you're asking yourself. And that's mental pressure and physical pressure, because like we said earlier, that physical pressure just because they can doesn't mean they should, right? Learn my lesson. Yeah, amen. (laughs) If we think about that physical pressure. And then we also see the mental pressure. It's um, when I'm done with that activity, I want my dog to feel like they cannot wait to come back and do it again. Then I know that we're in the right place. If my dog and myself both, if we both are like, whoo, can we do this again right now? Like, let's go. Can't wait. To me, that's when I know that we're in the right place.
2: Right.
0: Absolutely.
1: Speaking of right place, I think this is probably a good place to wrap this up. What do you think? I
0: think you're right. This has been a great conversation and i can tell that we're going to be in a lot of conversations where the, the listeners are going to be going wow i didn't think that." <laughs> yeah okay. all right
2: all right thank you thank you guys great talk
1: canine detection collaborative we appreciate the time you spend with us if you liked this episode not only should you follow us so you don't miss the next one but please also rate and review us in your favorite podcast app for info on collaborating with us, go to k 9 com. That's k number 9 com, where you can find our socials and pick up our latest monthly freebie. Join us again to talk training in the next episode.